Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Family, I don't know what I would do without the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I would do without the hope that there's more beyond the present state of things in this life. I don't know what I would do without the good news that not only do I have the hope of rising from the dead should we all fall asleep in Jesus, but we have the hope of rising to life right now in Christ. Whatever the situation is that we're facing in life. And with that in mind, I gotta, I gotta admit, um, spiritual warfare is real. Let me just say that. If you remember the last time I spoke, uh, two weeks ago, we did our fifth install, no, our fourth installment of this series that we're in, Safe Spaces. And that night, uh, my daughter was showing all the symptoms for COVID-19. We discovered that she had COVID-19. And the next day, my wife got COVID-19. We tested, we have the home tests. The following day, then I tested and was positive. We just knew it was going to sweep through the family. Then the next day, my son, all of us had COVID-19. Now, three out of the four of us have been vaccinated, right? But we knew that even when you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID. The symptoms, praise God, are just less, yeah? And so we experienced that. Nevertheless, that even though the symptoms were less, we were still sick. <laughs> Kids got better really, really quick. My wife and I, however, it took a little bit longer, really just kind of like a lingering cough kind of a thing. And then last week, Friday into Sabbath morning, as we're all, my kids were already recovered, but as my wife and I are recovering, my wife has to go to the emergency room because out of the blue, literally out of the blue, this searing, surging pain starts to shoot through her arm from her shoulder down to where she can't move without jolts of pain like electricity just shooting through her arm. And going through, we go to the uh, outpatient, then we go to uh, the hospital. Nobody knows what, what, what's going on. We thought the joint was out of socket. That's not it. And so they, re they referred us to a rheumatologist. Now, I don't know how many of you have, in this area, have been referred to anything kind of like that, specialist. There's a waiting list, and you've got to wait. I mean, really, the likelihood that we'll see anybody, unless someone drops off in terms of canceling an appointment, is probably next, uh, probably July. So she's just bearing down, dealing with this, and it was so intense, even into this morning, that we thought we pretty much might have to go to the emergency room again. And in between all of this, recovering and me take because I have to step in now with the kids and food and, you know, all that stuff, church, life keeps going. With all of this going on, I'm preparing for today. And I'm going, this is just so interesting. 
Because I'm hearing my, you know, as you're in your study preparing for messages like this, you're like, oh, oh, God, whoa, God, you, you got something to say today. I know you're going to, you want to speak clearly. And as, as, close as, as close as we got to this morning was like out of the woodwork, something else, something else. And I just said to myself, God, you know what, whatever's going to happen today, you are certainly going to get the glory out of it. Because as many behind the scenes know, I, I was almost not going to be here this morning. I was more than likely going to be with the kids at the hospital. And uh, so please don't mind me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver the message, but then I'm going to have to go home and take care of ministry number one. Amen. Well, let's pray together. There's several things on my heart as we get ready to close this series out. We've talked about safe space for grace, safe space for kids, safe space for women, safe space for youth, safe space for, for, for the vulnerable, which covers everybody, right? I had someone say to me, hey, wh- wh- where's the safe space for men? You know, Father's Day is coming up. And I have a message for that Sabbath, but uh, we would be going on and on. There's so many opportunities, but, but safe space for the vulnerable, it was all inclusive. But today, we're, we're closing out this series, a safe space for mental health. And this is one of the most relevant subjects I think we can talk about right now in this phase of the pandemic. And, interestingly enough, we're closing out Mental Health Awareness Month. And so I know God has something to say today. Now, he's using a, a, a broken vessel, um, uh, an, an exhausted vessel this morning. So I'm going to need your prayers as well. Um, but I believe God has something he wants to share with us today. And I know I'm talking to enough people based on the statistics that I know what I'm sharing is touching base with probably several people um, this morning. And so I want us to really, really pray. Also, my heart is the horrific, egregious, repetitive tragedy of what took place in Texas. And as we're talking about mental health, we've got parents right now that are grieving the horror and the trauma of losing a child. I have no words to describe the evil that that is. And I'm just praying that God would do something in our nation so that we can take care of protecting our kids. Amen? God have mercy. So I really want us to pray. Can we pray? Can we just take a moment really to pray? Ask God to have his way, all right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you because... When the world is crazy, when there's chaos, when there's mental illness, when there's physical illness, when there's a pandemic and all that's going on in our world, tragedy, you remain faithful. You are still good. You're not aloof. My Bible reveals to me that you're very much on the ground, in the trenches, holding back the stem of evil without violating our free will. And you are very active in this moment. And so God, we're inviting you to do what you have preordained for this moment through the preached word. Clearly the enemy does not want whatever is to be shared today to be communicated. But nevertheless, here I am. And so Lord, I'm in your hands. All of us here listening online, in person, 
We're in your hands. Holy Spirit, help us to get a glimpse of the Lord Jesus who reveals the Father. Help us to receive the healing, deep-seated healing that we need in our hearts, our minds. Those of us that are suffering mentally, God, do something supernatural in our midst. I thank you for the worship, Father, that was rendered. I thank you for Mike Onifre's testimony. I pray comfort also for the family and the loss that they're experiencing. I pray right now for my wife right now and that your healing virtue would flow her way. God, we give this moment to you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. So it's a typical Sabbath. You come into the sanctuary and you get on with your usual happy Sabbaths to everybody. And as you're doing so, you look off in the distance and you see one of your fellow church members, someone you're pretty acquainted with, sitting off by themselves when normally they wouldn't. And they're not their typical self. As a matter of fact, they look really, really sad. And so as you're greeting people and saying happy Sabbath, you... You attempt to get their attention wave and say happy Sabbath, but it appears that they're in their own world and they don't even see you. And so you decide that you're going to wait until after the service to approach them, greet them, and inquire how they're doing. As you do so after the service, they reluctantly begin to open up and share with you all that's going on inside of them, which was very evident to you based on their disposition. And as they begin to open up, they begin to share with you their sense of hopelessness. They begin to share with you their sense of despair. They begin to share with you that they even feel like they don't even want to get up in the mornings half the time. A dark cloud seems to be resting over their heads. And as you're listening to them share all the anguish that they're going through and all the issues that's surrounding why they're feeling the intensity of suffering mentally that they're experiencing, you begin to notice somewhere in, as you're listening to them, you begin to notice that, that you know what, it doesn't seem like anything in what they're sharing even resembles even an, a mention, even an inkling of any faith in God to get them through the issues that they're facing right now. And so, Alicia, because this is your fellow Christian, you take it upon yourself in that moment to say, hey, listen, you know, what you need to do is you need to pray more, you need to read your Bible more, you need to, you need to start thanking God for all the blessings that he is providing in your life right now. And I'm telling you, my sister, I'm telling you, my brother, if you do so, you'll soon realize that all this stuff that you've been talking about, complaining about, you've got nothing really to worry about, to be sad about. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. It's a safe place now, Yes. Was that the right response in your attempt to encourage someone that is suffering mentally? I hear no. Any brave yeses? Well, I want to tell you. I want to tell you. Depending on what it is that they're suffering from mentally, I want to tell you that more than likely it is not only 
the wrong response. That person more than likely is going to, after hearing what you just said, shut down emotionally and no longer decide to open up to you and share with you what it is they're suffering with mentally. Again, depending on what it is that they're suffering with mentally, what you've just done in, in, in what you just shared, they have now only internalized, on top of all the other issues that they're facing, they have now more than likely internalized what you just said to now mean that not only do they have to be worried and anxious about all the other stuff that they're facing that's, that's oppressing them mentally, but now they have to worry about not being a good enough Christian on top of all of that. Because that's how they've interpreted what you just said. And now the issue is not just all the other issues that they're dealing with. Now their issue is, oh, God is not pleased with me. Because I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not, I'm not grateful enough. Woe to me. And you now, in the eyes of this person, very likely are no longer seen as a safe person to open up to to share what's going on. And that's ouch for me, that's my toes right there because I've been that person. To the point even of frustration, don't you know how much better life is even with all the hardship and difficulty? Don't you know that trust in God is one of the foundational elements of good mental health? Life would be so much better if you just trust him. I know, and yes, there's therapy, and yes, there's medication, there's all these different things, but oh, if you would trust the Lord, oh, if you would trust the Lord. But that's not always the right response in that moment when they open up to you. And when I think of someone, when I think of people in the Bible that were trying, attempting, at least initially, to create a safe space for someone that was suffering mentally, but then unintentionally, they caused more harm to the person that's suffering with the intensity of mental illness or suffering is the three friends of Job. Oh yeah, the three friends of Job. I almost wanna believe if we look somewhere in the role, um, Fanny, if we, look, if we look close enough in the, in, the, in the list of members, I'm sure they're somewhere on the role in the Adventist church. <laughs> I feel like I've met these friends. If you've read the book of Job, when you read the book of Job, one of the things that you'll discover is that Job, actually in the entire Old Testament, Job is, is, is mainly known as a righteous sufferer. A, he's, he, he's the epitome in the Old Testament of a righteous sufferer. He didn't do anything to deserve what happened to him. If you remember, if you're not familiar with the story, I don't want to assume everybody is, but if you are familiar with the story, you'll know that in one day, Job loses his business, he loses his estate, he loses his servants, and shortly thereafter, Bill, he loses all 10 of his children. Imagine the families right now that have lost 19 children, am I right? 19 children plus two adults, I believe it is. Imagine the intensity of that anguish. He's lost almost everything in one moment. And then to add to more pain, more injury, more insult to the situation he's in, the, the closest person to him 
in a moment of just anguish in seeing what he's suffering because also he is now, shortly thereafter, he's now attacked physically. His body now has painful sores. <laughs> so he's suffering in every way possible. And to add insult to injury now, his wife, who is just in agony, I don't want us to judge her too quickly, she, she's in agony just witnessing the suffering that he's experiencing, that they're experiencing, and with everything else that they've experienced, the loss of their kids, she just, look, why are you holding on to your integrity of faith in God? Curse him and just die already. I mean, just a dagger right to the heart. Which is interesting because she's echoing what the enemy said that he, if he does all that stuff, the enemy says that's what Job is going to do to you. It's interesting she's echoing what the enemy said in Job chapter 1. Job in this moment is unaware that all of this stuff that has happened to him all at once is of satanic origin. But nevertheless, Job, at least initially, he holds on. He trusts in the Lord. Though we see for most of the chapters that are in the book of Job, he begins to wrestle with God. Pounding his fist, as it were, upon the chest of God. Why, God? Because his friends, who were supposed to initially provide a safe space for someone that was suffering mentally, who started out, we don't talk about this often enough, they actually started out really good. But over time, they began to say, oh, no, 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 Job. The reason this is happening is you did something wrong. You didn't return your tithe, Job. You did not help that old lady that was at the grocery store, Job. Job, you cheated on your wife. I know it. You did something, Job, and God is punishing you. So now God's name has been added to his suffering. And so he's wrestling through the majority of the chapter. And we worry sometimes about why God is silent. But one of the things you notice in the book of Job, God's silence is God permitting him to get it out. He gives you permission to say, why, God? This makes absolutely no sense. I've been faithful to you, God. I, I'm one of the most committed servants here at Vienna. Why is this happening to me? And God allows you to get it out without interrupting. God listens to Job. Oh, he's going to respond. But he listens to Job. What I want to tell you about Job's story that many of us may or may not have thought about is Job's story actually is foreshadowing the truer and greater righteous sufferer. What's his name? Can somebody shout it out? Jesus. Especially as we now go to Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his three friends, Job's three friends, are actually foreshadowing Jesus' three disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is, is, is suffering and he wants a safe space. As a matter of fact, the intensity of what Jesus suffers is indescribable. When we talk about mental health, it almost sounds kind of trite because of what he's taking on in that moment for the salvation of humanity. To even say that Jesus is suffering mentally just sounds like, yeah, CJ, I mean, I mean you take on the 
pain, the suffering, and the sins of the entire world? Well, yeah, I would think that would be some mental anguish. It was, it was far more than that. And so here's what I want to ask today. How do we, what can we, first of all, what can we learn from the experience of Job's three friends and Jesus' three closest disciples in order for us to learn how to create a safe space for those that are suffering mentally? Because even from their mistakes, we can learn. Amen? So please, I want to invite you, please. You didn't come to hear me. You came to hear the voice of the Spirit through this book. So I want to ask you to get your Bibles. Those of you online right now, you're on Vienna Church Online. There's a tab that says Bible. Click on that, and you can search the Scriptures right there online with us. That's where we want to be. The Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, all the way to the end of the book. Matthew 26. This is on the, on the eve of the cross. This is on the eve of the cross. Come with me now. And in Matthew 26, we're going to begin around, we're going to actually begin in verse number 20, excuse me, verse number 36, verse number 36. And what I want you to do with me is, I want you to come with me as Jesus leaves the upper room. He has his disciples with him. They cross the brook Kidron. They go up the Mount of Olives, and they go to the entrance of the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we are. Beginning in verse number 36, here's what the Bible says. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. That's the olive press. That's what that word means. And said to the disciples, sit here a while while I go over there. And he took with him, listen, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be, listen, sorrowful, sorrowful, and deeply distressed. Listen to what he says, verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul, my what? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, but how sorrowful, Jesus? Even to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus is in need of human sympathy. Jesus is God in human flesh, and he says, man, I need you right now. I need a safe space. Notice that Jesus is suffering intensely before he gets the nail prints, before he's spat upon, before he's beaten, before he's lacerated. He is experiencing deep mental, emotional, spiritual torture and torment prior to any physical suffering to the point of death. I'm going to throw this in. Listen, how many of you know that the sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, could have happened in the garden before he ever got to the cross? Sometimes we focus so much on the physical sufferings of Christ, we don't realize what actually took him out. What took him out was what was starting to take him out in the garden. He was already drinking the bitter cup. He was taking all of your collective mistakes the world over. That mistake, that sin, that whatever you've done to violate God or a human being. He took it all in one moment. 
And he was already drinking that cup, taking it to its dregs for you. And it was killing him. Sit with that. What you have done, what I have done, was killing him before anyone spat in his face. And he willfully took it. This was not God needing to get his anger and vengeance out on somebody. And his son said, all right, well, I'm going to take it out on you. No, Jesus, this is the plan from all eternity past. And Jesus put up his hand. He said, I love them. I'm going. I'm taking it. Are you sure, son? That's good. Let me get, I'll take it all. Let, let, it, let it take me out. I got to have them with me forever. And so in this moment in the garden, Jesus says, I need three of you. Isn't that interesting? How many did Job have with him when he was suffering? Jesus is doing something intentional here. He's doing something intentional here. So Jesus is suffering intensely. As a matter of fact, and I love this quote from Auntie Ellen. Listen to what she says regarding the sufferings of Jesus. She says this, Christ had the heart of God, housed in the body of a man. Therefore, his sorrow was all, his sorrow, oh, I'm sorry, I said Auntie Ellen, excuse me, this is actually Kim Allen Johnson in the book, The Gift. Kim Allen Johnson in the book, The Gift. We're going to get to Auntie Ellen in a little bit. Kim Allen Johnson, this is a great book. You can get it at your Pacific Press or ABC. But he says, his sorrow always had the, listen, the lethal potential of intensifying far beyond the capacity of his mind and body to what? Endure it. Which in fact happened in Gethsemane and on the cross. Jesus' mind and body were connected to a heart that was so full of love that it regularly sent enormous surges of sorrow throughout his system, that's his body, and at any time could create a deadly overload of grief. He'll go on to say, just a couple sentences after this, he'll go on to say that it's Jesus's because he's got because he's God in human flesh, right? He, he came as a human being. He's living as a human being, but he's reserving his godness, right? He's not going to use that on his own behalf, but he's still God in human flesh. His, his love, God's love, is so intense, it's so broad, it's so deep, it's so far expansive, that his sensitivity to hurt and pain, living in the human experience, sent surges of pain throughout his body. His capacity to love also meant his capacity to grieve and experience pain. The more you love, the more vulnerable you are to hurt and pain. I imagine the greatest lover in the universe in the amount of pain that he experienced. But notice what he does. He doesn't select all 12. Did you notice that? He only selects three. They've been with him, and if you watch the gospel story unfold, they're with him often. He'll bring them aside to do certain things. But when he's in his intense, most deepest moment of suffering, and here's what he's teaching us right here. If we want to create a safe space for someone that's suffering mentally, then here's what we've got to do. We've got to select the safest people for support. Watch the language there. We've got to select the safest people for support. Not everybody that warms a pew in a church is a, as we saw in our little, story, our, little, our little scenario as I began this morning, not everybody that warms a pew is a safe 
person for you to unload with. With what you're grieving with, suffering with, mentally. Whether you're someone that's in leadership and you see someone suffering mentally and you want to create a safe space, so you, want, you want to select the safest people for support. Whether you're someone yourself, like Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you're suffering and you want to know, who can I really talk to? You can't just tell anybody. You need to select carefully the safest people. I really believe Jesus in his ministry and life and how he disciples. I believe that Jesus teaches us that there are levels of trust. Sometimes what we do is we're very black and white. Do you know that? We go, oh, I either can't trust anybody, so I'm just going to do life on my own and white-knuckle it through. I'm just going to, I don't care how hard it is. I'm just going to go through it all by myself. That's the American way, right? In the rugged individualism, yeah? I'm suffering. I can't, I can't eat. I can't nothing. But I'm going to just do it by myself. Right? I can't, tr can't trust people, right? Or we go the opposite route. Well, I mean, I'm just going to trust any and everybody and tell any and everybody. I'm going to put it out there on social media, everything. And I don't think that's good either. No, no, no. What, 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 there are people that are at varying levels of trust. There are some people you can trust with this amount of information. And there are some people that have demonstrated through their pressing in and looking after you. And they're reaching out and checking in on you. And keeping what you say confidential. Keeping what you say confidential. Not gossiping. Hello? I want to pray for so-and-so. But really, they're just putting it all out there, right? There are some people that you can trust for it to just be right there. And you need to know how to select the safest people for support. This is what we see in the story of Job. Flashback. Job is suffering. He's grieving. All that stuff that happened to him. Rapid fire secession. And it's just coming like him on a tidal wave. And when that happens, the Bible says there in Job chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, if you ever want to go and read it. Job chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, and it just, it's so beautiful how it describes it because, guys, family, we get so hard on those three friends of Job just in general because of their general disposition throughout the story, but we forget they got it right initially. They did. The Bible says that when they heard what happened to Job, they each left immediately whatever they were doing. They left wherever they were, their place, and they immediately they got together, made an appointment, and said, we're all three. We're going to go and be a safe space for Job. And they all left. They went to Job. On the way, when they saw Job from afar, the Bible says they couldn't even recognize him. Does that remind you of Jesus and his suffering? He was, he, his visage was marred beyond recognition. And when they saw how much Job was suffering, the Bible says that they began to lift up their voice and weep and cry. And the Bible says that they picked up dust off the ground and poured it upon their head. That was, in their culture in the day, that was expression saying, we are in complete solidarity with your pain. And then the Bible says, and this blows me away, the Bible says, then they sat with Job. They got there right where Job was. They were present. And they sat with Job for seven days and seven nights because they saw how greatly he was in grief and suffering. That should blow you away. They sat there with Job. Job is suffering. He's crying out. He's whatever. And there, we're here. We're just going to sit here with They said nothing for, you try saying nothing for seven days and seven nights. Nothing. We're here. Just present. Job had safe people to 
surround him and provide support when he needed it the most. Jesus needed that. He needed that. When Jesus was about to, when I think of the moment that, 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 that literally everything hung in the balance for the universe, for our salvation as human beings, I don't immediately think the cross, and I know that may sound almost blasphemous. For me, it's right there in the garden. Do you know why? What did Jesus say when he, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, what did he say when he went to go pray to his father? What did he say? Father, is there an exit here? Is there any other way? Can I get out of this? Can I hit the eject button? Can, can we just maybe rethink this whole plan? Nevertheless, your will be done. To, to me, that was the moment when all the angels and all the people on the unfallen worlds, they sit up in their chair, they're watching this on the screen, they're eating their popcorn, and because everything hung on those words. Jesus, in, in, in any moment, he could have said, wipe them out, just nuke them, just get, too bad, start over. No, but he thought about you, and he thought about me, he thought about our suffering because of sin, and he said, ah, uh, no. I remember the plan, Father, your will be done. That was the moment. And Jesus, in that suffering, in that mental anguish, he said, I need safe people around me. Here's what they demonstrated. Here's what they did that was good. We see this in the story of Job. We see this in the three friends of Job. We see this in the three disciples of Jesus. Here's what they did. Number one, they were just present. They were present. He said, you guys, the rest of you, the nine of you, you stay right there. Peter, James, and John, I need you to come right here. Just, can you just be with me right now? They listened. He told them, I'm suffering at a deep sorrow and soul level to the point of grief. And you don't hear them saying, oh, Jesus, well, you need to do this and pray, pray to your father. No, they listened. They sympathized. <coughs> Someone's going through this type of anguish. They need someone to, sim <coughs> excuse me, to sympathize with them. To, to enter into their suffering with them. And then um, Jesus invited them <coughs> to pray. Yes? Pray with and for them. But for most of the story, you don't hear them going, oh, Jesus, yeah, if you just pray right now, read your Bible. Aren't you grateful for all, for all that the Father has done for you these three and a half years? You don't hear any of that. Does that tell us how we can provide a safe space for people that are suffering mentally? Is that instructive for us? Sometimes we don't need to say a word. That's hard for a preacher. I've got a lot to say. And growing up, I did not have a lot to say. <laughs> growing up, they kept saying, speak up, CJ. <laughs> because I was, I'm, my natural, ask anybody here. My natural disposition is to just be chill, laid back, talk to people, yes, but don't like attention. This is, the spotlight is not, is not what I, I don't crave, the, I don't crave the attention. I don't. <laughs> so trust me, it took God a long time to get me to, Say yes, okay? But when I have something to say because the Lord gives it to me, there's just a lot to say. And it's hard for someone like me 
when someone's going through this type of an issue, not to want to say some, oh, if you just read that the Lord is with you. Oh, I'm with you to the end of the age. Oh, let me give you the Bible study right now. All 28 fundamental beliefs right now in five minutes. And then on top of that, another crash course on how to get through suffering by trusting in Jesus. Yes, you're going to be perfectly fine. And yes, there's some therapy and stuff I can, I can refer you to. But let me tell you the Bible study right now. There's a whole lot I want to say, yeah? You're suffering? Ooh, I will Bible study you out of your suffering. And oh, have I learned the hard way, painfully, that sometimes the best thing the preacher can do is give the best sermon he's ever given and say nothing. Just be there. That's it. Be there. They may not be able to pray. I've had people come to me recent months and say, I'm angry with God. I'm angry. Outcomes are happening, and I don't know why they're happening the way that they are. I'm coming to church. I'm serving, but I'm angry. I don't know why things are happening. And I said, listen, I'm here to pray with you. I'm here. I know. I've been there, too. And God showed up, but in the moment, they don't need me to now bust out my best sermon material on <laughs> how to get through this. And it's tempting for us, yeah? Can we be like the three friends of Job initially? <laughs> Can we be like those three disciples of Jesus initially? Because what we're about to see now as we move to verse 40 is that, yeah, some of that human weakness shows up. Sometimes we, we mean well when we try to provide a safe space for people that are suffering mentally or suffering in general. But we sometimes trip over our own feet. What can we learn? Let's go. Verse number 40. The Bible says, then he came to the disciples and found them what? Sleeping and said to Peter, notice that, and he found them sleeping and says to Peter. Just put a note right there. Okay, we'll come back to that. Said to Peter, what? Can you hear, does, does your Bible have an exclamation point? Mine does. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a question mark. It's a What? Could you not watch with me one hour? By the way, how long did Job's friends stay with him? Seven hours? Seven, a whole week. And said, no, but they were present. And he's like, look, I'm fulfilling this thing. You can't even do an hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is what? But the what? The flesh is weak. Does Jesus sound just a little bit peeved? Does he sound just a little bit annoyed? Do you see that? What? Y'all are my closest friends. I trust you. You're my prayer partners. We go to church together, we serve, you watch my kids. You couldn't be there for me when I needed you at my worst moment? Have you been there? Nobody's been there. Has anybody been there? You feel let down, yes? But here's what I want to, here's what I want to share with you. Jesus is not surprised that this happened. That what was not his surprise. 
Are you hearing me? It wasn't his surprise. How do I know this? Well, it's because, notice what he said. He, he said, he said, he comes to them and he says, Peter, you, what, you couldn't, you couldn't do this for an hour? Why did he call out Peter? Because, remember a little bit earlier in the story, they're in the upper room, and he's spending some time saying to Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. What, Lord? Oh, no, 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 I'm ride or die. What are you talking about? I'm with you. You've insulted me in front of all our friends here. I'm going to be with you to the death. A little bit later, as they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane, John 17 and other places, he'll say, look, all of you are going to forsake me tonight. Does that sound? So is Jesus surprised? Oh, no. He's not surprised. As a matter of fact, this is why he's saying to watch and pray. You see, he understands our human weakness. He understands our human limitations. And that's why what he's wanting to do, not just for his own uh, support, not just for him only to have a safe space. He's encouraging them to pray because, listen, when you pray, you tap into divine strength. Pray lest you enter into what? Listen, pray lest you enter into what? Temptation. What's the implication there, my sister? The implication is that if you pray when you're tempted, guess what? You will receive divine strength from the Holy Spirit to endure. You have help. You are weak, but through God, there is access to power. Amen. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that. But he also knows that they're weak. And have you ever known that, oh, I know, I, I don't want my kids to do this. I warned them not to do it. But you know deep down, come on, parents, talk to me. You know deep down somewhere, ah, the likelihood that they're going to do it, ah, it's probably pretty high. Yes? And even though you've warned them, right? Even though you know that, yeah, it's likely that that's going to happen. I'm going to have to maybe execute some consequences here. Experiencing it is still painful, is it not? Oh, come on, somebody talk to me. It's painful. And so Jesus knows what's going to happen, but it still hurts. And this is instructive for us. We can learn from their mistakes, and you, by the way, can learn from your own life's mistakes. Don't live in shame and guilt. Receive the grace of God, move forward, but you can learn from it, yes? We can learn from the mistake also of the three friends of Job that we're about to talk about in a moment. We can also learn from these disciples, and here's why. If we're going to create a safe space to support someone that's suffering mentally, then guess what? We've got to be aware, proactively aware, of human limitations. This is what Jesus is trying to do. He wants them to proactively be aware of their own human limitations. Was it admirable that Peter was like, oh, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're insulting me right now. What, I'm going to deny you? Like, after three years, man, after what we've been through? And Jesus is like, man, you, you just don't understand what I'm seeing right now in your heart, man. Because, yes, I like your commitment, but watch this. You're depending on Peter to maintain your loyalty. You're not depending on my Father or the Spirit. You're depending on your own human ability, your own human strength. And that, my friends, is going to fail. Seriously, if you're relying on your human strength and ability in this life, especially when it comes to salvation and getting through the last days and all that, we'll just throw up the white flag now. <laughs> actually, actually, that's kind of what God is waiting for you to do, by the way. 
is to throw up the white flag because then he can come in and do the whole rescue thing and empowerment thing and cover you thing and yes you can't do it but with Christ you can do what all things all things be aware be proactively aware of human limitations let's go back to the story of Job here's the temptation for the story of Job for the three friends they were not aware of their limitation to explain Job's suffering they felt the temptation that we often feel. I got to help tell them why they're, they're you were not praying. You were just you weren't praying. You were not reading your Bible. I was watching you. No, I didn't see that Sabbath school quarterly open. Oh man, when the offering plate came by, I did not see a $20 bill. I saw a $1. We sometimes want to explain why people are going through what they're going through. Did Job get a full documentary style explanation behind the scenes of what was going on spiritual warfare? What we get when we read the story? No, he didn't. No, he did not. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second, because he did get something in the end. But as he's going through most of those chapters, no, he didn't get nothing. And all he had to do was sit there with those friends that were trying to go, ah, yeah, Job. See, righteous people don't suffer. No, righteous people have the protection of God, right? Righteous people walk in the favor of God. This is like prosperity gospel. You know, if you, if you, if you are, have faith in God, you are blessed and don't got time to be stressed. What is going on? Job, what's going on in your closet, right? We sometimes don't recognize our, our, we're humans. We don't see and know everything the way God does. And so there is their error in trying to explain every little detail. Sometimes you, you don't try to explain why somebody's parent died. Christians should not run in now to those families that lost those 19 kids in Texas and try and go, oh, let me tell you what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because if this school was, if they were having prayer in schools, which by the way, every time there's an exam, there's prayer in schools. Oh, hello, any students in the house? Every time there's a final exam, there are, prayer is happening always in schools. <laughs> I'm talking about legislatively, okay? Oh, if, if this was going, oh, this is why, this is why it's happening. Sometimes the best thing is just leave that to God. He can handle that. Yeah, But they tried. They were not aware of their human limitations. The disciples of Jesus were not aware of their human limitations. They needed to be praying. They needed to be relying on divine aid. They weren't, and so they fell asleep. We need to be aware of our human limitations. You know what you need to do? Paul gives us this counsel. He says when you go, especially when you're trying to restore a brother or a sister that's fallen away and that have sinned, what you need to do is you need to pray for yourself. Lest you, as you're trying to go in and pro provide support for somebody, fall into temptation. Why is he saying pray for support? As you pray, you get a certain level of clarity about where you are. As you read your Bible and pray, you get clarity about what, what your limitations are. And, and you need to have godly people in your life. That can also help you with that. <laughs> when you're married and you've got a godly wife or a spouse, you a godly husband, they can also help you with that. You know, honey, you... Uh, you need to erect some boundaries right here. You, you know what I mean? That's the next thing. You need boundaries. You need to know, okay, I can help this person this much. You know, life's, life, uh, what's people that rescue people from that are potentially a life rescue guards, lifeguards? Lifeguards. You know, lifeguards will not actually come in and rescue you until you take the life preserver that they throw to you because you could potentially cause them to drown as they're trying to help you. 
This is kind of the mindset we need when we're trying to provide support for people that are suffering mentally, is we need to know that we're in a healthy space to help them. You need to know where that limit is. What are your human limitations? You need to be proactively aware of that. Because sometimes we try to help people and we're not aware, we got a blind spot, we end up causing more hurt and harm to them and ourselves. Ah, oh, but there's good news. Are you ready for good news? The good news is, as we wrap this up, come with me now to Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 43. Luke 22, verse 43. Because as they are uh, trying, <laughs> I say trying because the disciples fell asleep three times, have mercy. They're trying to provide a safe space for Jesus. They're trying to pray, to watch and pray, but they, 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 they don't have this awareness of their own human limitations. But here's what happens in the midst of that. And there's some beautiful good news in this. 22, Luke 22, verse 43, here's what the Bible says. Then an angel appeared to him, that's Jesus, from heaven, doing what? Strengthening him. Jesus had great drops of blood. He was sweating great drops of blood, mixed, water mixed with blood, sweating from his brow. Jesus was dying. He was suffering. He was tasting the ultimately what, what, he, what he would take full measure at the cross. And Jesus was dying in the garden. Guess what? God intervened. God sent an angel. We have counsel and there's some study that's been gone. This is likely the angel that replaced the enemy when he left heaven. This is likely Gabriel. That, oh, no, 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 we've got to encourage Jesus right now. You see, here's what I want you to know. When, when you even have the safest people surrounding you, understand that there's still people. There's still human. And at the end of the day, even when you have the safest people, the people at the highest level of trust, is there still the possibility, though it crushes them, that they cause you any hurt? But isn't there still the possibility that they could possibly let you down in some way or another? But guess who will never let you down? God will never let you down. And sometimes it may seem like he's letting you down if you're suffering, going through something, and you're angry. But really and truly and ultimately, he will never let you down. He's always there. Here's what we need to know, lastly. If you're going to create a safe space for those that are suffering mentally, then you need to anticipate God's restorative intervention. Anticipate God's restorative in intervention. And I'm saying this to not only the person that is suffering, but the person that's providing support. Why do I say that? Because sometimes the person that's providing support can actually be the one that's demonstrating faith when the other person may not be able to demonstrate faith. When the guy that had the uh, paralysis... Uh, the paralytic was brought in by his four friends to Peter's house, and they ripped open the roof. And brought... The Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, and then he heals it. You see, it matters when you exercise faith on someone else's behalf, who probably in their brokenness, in their cloud of suffering, just can't reach up in trust to God. You can do it for them. You can come down this altar every Sabbath and stand in the gap for someone that is not praying. Could be one of your children. And God acts when you do it. Or it could be that you're the one that's suffering. And yes, you're suffering. And yes, you're going through mental anguish. But, but there's still that glimmer. There's still that thread. There's still that hope that you're clinging to. You can anticipate God's restorative intervention. Yes, you can. 
It's in the story of Job. We know how that story ends, right? God intervenes. He listens to Job for 30-odd chapters, and then he responds. He steps in. He starts to sort out the issues. He says, look, you don't understand. I'm dealing with Leviathan. Leviathan is code, by the way, in the Bible for the devil. There's a great controversy going on. There's a battle. What happened to you had cosmic implications. The character, my character was put on the line. And if I intervened in a, in a particular way, then that, I could have put the whole universe in jeopardy. I, I wish you knew what was actually going on. But he intervenes and he starts to fix things and he puts things together and Job has more children and Job has more servants and Job ends up far more blessed than he was in the beginning. God intervenes. God restores. God does help. The help may look different. Sometimes we're expecting the supernatural miracle. God can help by sending somebody to you to actually give you a word of encouragement. God can help. By actually bringing somebody to you that's going to actually give you some therapy. That's, that's restorative intervention that God is... If, it's, if, if there's anything good happening to you, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. When Elijah was suffering mentally to the point where he wanted to die in 1 Kings, 19, 1 Kings 18 or 19, and he literally wanted to die, he was suicidal. And God sent an angel first just to talk to him and then say, hey, get something to eat and sleep. That was restorative intervention. You need to eat and you need to sleep right now. You're too stressed. You can't process. And he does that multiple times. And it's only at that point then he can finally hear the voice of God through a still small voice to tell him what his purpose is. Okay? So, so God's restorative intervention is always going to be the big magic. Bling! I showed up and there's an angel to pick you up. No. Watch how God restores you through natural or supernatural means, and often commingled. You can anticipate God's restorative intervention. This story does end, family, this whole earthly story that we're having here, this drama, this great controversy, this good news message is going to end in victory, even to someone who has fallen asleep in death. God's restorative intervention is literally on the cusp, right around the bridge. It's about to happen. The Messiah is about to break through the clouds. Ultimately, God is going to get the glory. He's going to restore. He's going to heal. He's going to raise to life. He's going to cause those that trust in him to flourish in every area of your life. But you don't have to wait till he does it then. You can anticipate it right now. Praise team may want to get ready now and come up. You can trust God. You may be angry. You may not understand. You may be trying to provide support to someone that's suffering, maybe mentally or physically. I think often those go together. You may be someone that's struggling right now mentally yourself. There is hope. There is I'm not saying that to you because I have the pastor title and that's what I'm supposed to say to you. I'm living it. Come and talk to me one day. Send me an email. Often I don't have time to give you the full story right here. I'm living this. And I'm telling you, God either is going to intervene, maybe not exactly the way or how or the timing, but trust me, his intervention is sure. And sometimes it happens and we forget. <laughs> oh yeah, God came through for me. But I forgot to say thank you. 
And now you go through another difficulty and you forget all that stuff that God did. Most of the time what God is doing is he's sustaining you. You know what that angel did? He strengthened Jesus to go to the cross for you. Glory to God. Glory to God. If that angel did not come and strengthen my Savior, I would not be saved. My Savior would not have been able to go through what he needed to go through for me. Well, maybe we can provide that kind of support for somebody else. Can you text someone today and check in on them? Can you do a well check? Can you go visit somebody? Can you just tell somebody, don't preach to them, can you just tell them, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about you, man. I'm, I saw you look a little down and I want to pray for you. Hey, look, I know you've been going through a rough time in your family. And your, can you just do that? Can you provide a safe space? Maybe just a few of you. Maybe you don't need to crowd someone right away. But can you say, man, I just want you to know, man, I, I love you, man. I, I, I care about you. I may not call you as often as I would like, but I'm going to change that. I'm here for you. I won't even say anything if you just want to talk. But please make sure you're okay before you do that. <laughs> yes? We can provide a safe space for those who are suffering mentally. We can. We can when we select the safest people to provide them support. And we can do that when we are proactively aware of our own human limitations. And as we do so, we can trust and we can anticipate God's intervention, his restorative intervention. You know why I believe that? Because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the true righteous sufferer. His rising, my friends, is my rising. It's the guarantee of your rising, not just from the dead, from whatever is dead in your life right now. It can come alive because Jesus is alive. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins.
and I'm living for him.